Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion Team. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's another beautiful day for baseball in Los Angeles. And baseball podcast. Josh Schaefer and Blake Harris cover everything Dodgers right here on Inside the Ravine. How is it going, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Inside the Ravine. Joining me from a different state this week is my co-host, Josh Schaefer. Josh, you're not in the Ontario Rain headquarters. You're not decked out in your beautiful Ontario Rain pull-up. Instead, you're wearing a soccer jersey of a team that I know nothing about, uh, that plays a sport I know nothing about, in a state that I actually do know quite a bit about. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in Arizona for the weekend, um, and uh, today was Championship Sunday in the Premier League. What does that mean on a day when a team has already clinched the title for a week, and my team, Manchester United, was playing for absolutely nothing? Well, it just means that a lot of games were on at the same time, and a few teams were uh, playing to see if they got relegated or not. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's how my morning went. Uh, 20 teams, um, 10 games all going on at the same time. Um, my team won and, uh, that's a good way to start off my Sunday. Yeah. A bad way to start off your Sunday is by watching your team play at 8 30 AM on the Peacock mm-hmm. app and losing a game that hasn't been lost in, in quite some time. But before we talk about today's game, the Dodger series as a whole, and kind of the season overall as a whole, make sure you guys follow Inside the Ravine on whatever social media app you guys use. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Inside the Ravine. Make sure you guys go over there, give us a follow, and you guys can also watch and listen to the shows over on YouTube as well. And again, you guys can catch every podcast, wherever you guys get your podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple, we're on the Odyssey app, because this show is brought to you by odyssey but josh a lot to get to uh in today's episode because we haven't talked i think since that cardinal series so a couple series have happened one good one bad but i quickly want to talk about today's game because today's game was unlike any that i've personally ever seen in my lifetime definitely unlike any you've seen in your lifetime josh i don't know if you saw this tweet of mine 
But today is the Dodgers' first loss while scoring 10-plus runs and hitting 5-plus home runs since June 30th of 1996. So the way the Dodgers lost today, it's the first time they've done it in nearly 27 years. And even more on that, the Dodgers since the year 2000, 265-2 when scoring 10-plus runs in a game. They were 35-1 since 2003 when hitting 5 or more homers in a game. But that just goes to show the beauty and the horror of baseball. You could do everything you possibly can do to win a game. And sometimes, Josh, it just isn't enough. And on Sunday morning, at the crisp hour of 8.30 a.m., it wasn't enough for the Dodgers. Yeah, um, it's the first time the Dodgers have lost by scoring 10 runs in a nine-inning game since 2006. So, I mean, in a nine-inning loss, let's say. I mean, in any nine-inning game can end up going to extra innings. First time the Dodgers have scored 10 runs in a nine-inning loss since opening day of 2006. So, um, I, I'll be a little bit honest with you. I, I was very surprised that that, um, that fielder's choice ended up being the, the winning run for, for, the, for the Rays today because just the way that the game had gone, I thought there is no way one run is going to be enough at this point. Whether the Dodgers win or lose this game, if the Dodgers come back and take a 12-11 lead in the top of the next inning, I don't know if that's going to be enough. Like it, a one-run lead – this late in the game, I still don't think is what's going to do it. And it did. Um, on top of that, honestly, in most situations, I feel like I probably would not have been a huge fan of this, but an 8.30 a.m. game on Peacock on a day when I was watching 10 Premier League games on Peacock at 8.30 a.m., it worked out pretty nicely for me. Um, I had a couple of different screens going and I had the Dodgers on. But, um, yeah, I mean, just kind of a weird – game and you know when you're starting at 8 30 a.m you know pacific time and and you're wrapping up a series wrapping up an 11 day road trip 11 days 12 days something like that um but i mean you're wrapping up your third straight road series um and against another really good team where you had a couple of pretty good games against the rays um but look i mean the dodgers especially over the course of this road trip i think have shown that they can be pretty relentless and I know that you had tweeted this this morning too. You want to talk about a team being relentless, and that's the Rays. I mean, they just they just hit the ball. And I mean, every every game against the Rays, these last three games seem to be for me like every Noah Syndergaard start, where it doesn't really matter what's. They're not hitting a ton of bombs. It's just base hit, base hit, base hit, double, base hit, base hit, double. Like that's just how it went this series. You know, sure, you know, they left the park a couple of times, but that's just how these three games went was just they just hit the ball well. Um, and you and I had texted about this this morning. Like, they've got, just like every team, they've got their few dudes, right? But then they also have some, like, completely random players that are just crushing the ball for them. Like Luke Rayleigh. Like, Luke Rayleigh's having a heck of a season with the Rays. Everybody on the team, on, on the Rays is having a heck of a season. And uh, it just kind of, I mean, now the Dodgers got to see it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, with the Rays lineup, it seemed like every guy, and this is what I texted to you, Josh. Oh, here's this guy who has a career-high 10 homers already after his previous career best was three. Here's Yandy Diaz, who is now the best hitter in the American League. Here's Luke Rayleigh, who has a higher WRC plus than Mookie Betts does. Oh, here's their backup catcher that has an OPS above 800. It's like every single guy 
I mean, it just seemed like it was never ending. It seemed like every guy that was coming up, it got to the point, Josh, where I wasn't even paying attention to who was up in the batting order just because it was all one. It was like, this guy could be their number three hitter. This guy could be their number three hitter. I mean, there was like one point where some guy like ripped a double and I was like, oh, this is their number nine hitting backup catcher who, again, has like an OPS above 800. I mean, having heard about this Rays team all season, it was like, okay, yeah, they're doing really well. They're leading in a bunch of these stats. But when you see them firsthand, it's like, yeah, I don't know how a team is going to beat them like in a playoff series at this point. I mean, the Dodgers barely, and when I say barely, they barely won on Saturday. I think the Rays had like the tying run on third base, the go-ahead runner on first. So this was a, a tough series for the Dodgers. I guess in a po- on a positive note, they were this close to actually winning the series against the Rays. I mean, again, like talked about, yeah. anytime you score 10 runs, you should win. But yeah, this was a fun series. It was fun playing at the Trop. A few plays where the ball hit the AstroTurf and just went 20 feet in the air. So that park and field needs to be just abolished into the abyss and never seen or heard from again. So it, it was a weird one, Josh, but kind I, of a I, fun one. I'm not sure if I missed this or not. Do Is the upper deck still open to the public? Yeah, I have no idea. I think it's closed because they had everyone down on the lower bowl and the entire upper yeah. deck was closed. So I think they might only sell the lower bowl to make it seem more crowded. And then yeah, when the camera guy in the outfield pans, it's I was that's, like, what, it, that's what, what did it for me was that was the shot of the of the tank with all the, the manta rays. And it was that shot the whole game. I was thinking it is freaking packed, man. Like, oh, my God. Like, finally, finally, the Rays being as good as they are are getting like a rowdy crowd like even in the ninth inning like they've got guys like standing up clapping like the whole lower bowl is like making noise and they show that shot from the raised tank of like the kids reaching in touching them and you're just like the upper deck is completely empty and look like we've been to you and i have been to our fair share of like arizona diamondbacks games and i'm not trying to like trash on the diamondbacks here because we've seen that place full before too um but We've been to our fair share of Diamondbacks games where the, for those who don't know, the upper deck at Chase Field is like twice the size of the, of the main concourse. Like it is just massive. And it's like, you've got like some people scattered up top, but like the lower bowl can be packed. Like your, your typical Dodgers D-backs game, I would wager the lower level, the, the full, whole first level of the ballpark packed, but upper level, there's like nobody there. Maybe a few people in the first few rows, not like that at all in Tampa. I mean, at the trop, the lower bowl was packed. There wasn't a single soul in the upper level. Not one. Not even a security guard right. from what I saw. Yeah. So I just looked it up, and the attendance today was 21,000, which I feel like for a Rays game is just flat-out absurd. I think I saw some tweet like a week ago that like some Tuesday or Wednesday game against the Jays, they drew like five or 6,000. So I guess, yeah, if you just decide to not sell the upper deck, pack everyone down in the lower bowl, and just tell the cameramen, do not pan above the press box this place is going to look like a sellout every game but yeah the rays playing at the trop that's a that's a something but yeah josh the main reason before we move on before we move (laughs) on we i i want to know i'm going to look on one of my apps i'm not going to tell you which one because they don't sponsor us um but i i'm going to look very quickly and see if i can get upper level tickets okay tampa uh, now the, the question Rays. is though, if if you can't get upper level tickets, like does that mean all the lower level tickets are going to be much more cheaper? Because that's kind of not fair to cut out, you know, the upper deck when you're not selling cheap tickets, and then all of a sudden every ticket down there is going to be pricey. I got a feeling, Josh, that you could probably get like a row ten seat, maybe fifteen or twenty feet behind third base, 
I want to say for like 30 or 40 bucks. Like I think tickets down there are pretty cheap. You can get party deck tickets on this specific app for party deck. Section 341 row B, it's in the party deck, $34. You can get press level tickets and press level box tickets for 42 bucks. But look, I'm looking at these photos and they don't even show anybody sitting in the upper deck. Press level reserved, $49. From what I can see, you can't buy upper level tickets. Like, I wonder if, I wonder if they don't sell them. They probably don't. And they probably just, again, pack everyone down there to make it seem like, which I guess I kind of get makes sense because there were times when I've seen Rays games when there might be like a couple hundred people up there. You might as well just say, you know what, just pack everyone down there, save security guards and workers up on the second level have them all down there so hey it's working all the money they're saving josh by not hiring people for the upper deck they're putting towards yeah. this team that's probably a combined like 60 million dollars for all these all-stars and, and whatnot yeah, so pretty much i mean they, it's based it's I mean, the way that this team's playing is, is they've got an all-star team I, i'm gonna give this one last crack i'm gonna go to the rays website and see if they have the official seating chart and uh it's, it's loading, but it looks like, if I'm correct, it looks like they don't sell upper-level tickets. Like It's like grayed out on the seating chart. But I'm trying to see if I can actually try to select tickets up there. And it doesn't look like you can. Like the website seating chart, it's not letting me click on any of the sections, but the upper level is completely grayed out. So my guess is they don't sell upper-level tickets, which explains why I was empty. But... It seems like lower-level tickets are reasonably priced, and there seem to be a lot of people there today. Just stop hey, going rate, to that I want to be a race fan. Yeah, I want to be a race fan. I want to be a race fan and, you know, seeing all these games in, in person. I, I did think it was funny at one point. I forget when it was. It might have been the sixth inning when their starting pitcher allowed, like, his 10th earned run of the game when the fans were booing. And I'm thinking, you guys have the best record in baseball. You're paying everyone, like, bupkis. What are we booing here? Why are we booing? <laughs> I, I was hoping Kevin Cash would leave him in and this guy would throw like a nine inning complete game while allowing 10 earned runs, just the way this thing was going. But Joshua, I, I want to transition though, because the reason the Dodgers lost this game, it wasn't because of the offense. It was because of Gavin Stone. Now he's made two starts since the last time we recorded uh, and things haven't gone pretty. The fact that today was actually his worst start says a lot because his previous two starts were just horrible. He only gives the Dodgers two innings, allows seven runs, 10 hits. It was essentially batting practice for the Rays, those first couple of innings. And for opposing teams, again, it's only been three starts for Gavin Stone. Has not gone pretty. I think his ERA at this point is 14.40 through his three starts. That is horrible. I think Dave Roberts following the game said they're going to reassess the situation with Gavin Stone. But at this point, I, I know the Dodgers are in desperate need of starting pitching. I know we've gone back and forth about Noah Syndergaard. I know a lot of people on Twitter have their thoughts on Noah Syndergaard, but I guess the one silver lining with Noah Syndergaard is the fact that he's able to eat innings. Gavin Stone hasn't been able to do that, and in three starts, I've seen nothing encouraging that says, okay, be maybe next outing, he can kind of turn things around. At this point, you got to send him down, have him get reps any way he can in AAA, and I guess call up literally anyone else at this point because I would trust Noah Syndergaard on the mound with a start over Gavin Stone, which is saying a whole lot after what we've seen from Syndergaard this year. Yeah, it's just not going well. The, the, the exact quote from Dave Roberts today was, given how today went, it's prudent to just reassess and make sure that whatever we do is best for Gavin 
and best for us. And right now, it just hasn't been good. And, and look, I I know that we've only seen one game from Bobby Miller, so I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with the fact that the sample size with Bobby Miller is somehow even smaller than our sample size with Gavin Stone. But the Dodgers were telling us and the reports were saying that the guy who was going to get called up and was going to be put in the starting rotation was going to be Gavin Stone because he was, you know, he, he was most ready out of those pitching prospects. He was the one that they thought that they could rely on. And the reason why Bobby Miller wasn't going to be brought up was Bobby's not the guy yet. Bobby's not ready. And then when it was time and they needed him, they said, we're calling him because we need him. Well, through a couple of starts, Gavin Stone has not had it at all. And there's not really a silver lining with him other than the fact that he's young and it's been three starts, right? It's just, it's not there. And there hasn't really been anything else other than the fact that he's young and has time to grow. For Bobby Miller, in one game, filthy. He was disgusting. So now I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, what, what do you do now? And look, I mean, I mean, you look at his three games and it hasn't gone well at all. Um, he's only lasted 10 innings over the course of three games. He's given up 16 earned runs on 23 hits in six, in, in just 10 innings of work. And that's just, it's just not good enough. I mean, he hasn't gone more than four innings. Uh, first game, obviously the four runs on eight hits in four innings, five runs on five hits in four innings. And then today, seven runs on 10 hits. The positive today didn't walk anybody, but I mean, he's got, he had seven strikeouts in his first two games or seven walks in his first two games. He doesn't even have seven strikeouts across three and, and it just hasn't been good enough. Um, so I, yeah, you're right. You know, we're at the point right now where you're thinking like, and we brought this up on the last show too. Trace Thompson struggling. Chris Taylor was struggling. Like, what do you do? Like, who, who could you possibly call up if you were going to send somebody down? Well, right now with the, with the injuries on and the pitching staff that the Dodgers have, who, who is your next option? I think, obviously, in this case, it would be Michael Grove. But right now, I mean, Stone, Miller, Grove, uh, we've had Andre Jackson a little bit here and there. Um, you know, Pepio's been hurt. Who is the next guy that you would give an opportunity to if it weren't Michael Grove just at this point in the season? So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. But, but, but right now, there really hasn't been many, you know, reassuring signs from Gavin Stone through three games. Yeah, you know, you know the season as at it is at its bad point when you're saying, "Man, we need Michael Grove back in the starting rotation." Because this was a guy where you were kind of going, "We need to get Michael Grove out of the starting rotation." But at this point, he literally is your best and probably your only option, I guess, unless you you know want to do Andre Jackson. But we've seen how that's gone so far this year. I think Michael Grove has made a couple of rehab starts in Oklahoma City, and based off of what I've seen in the tweets. It sounds like both starts have gone really, really well, and he's actually looked really good. So hopefully, you know, Michael Grove is able to take Gavin Stone's spot in the start in rotation. Gavin Stone can go down, kind of work things out. I do kind of feel bad for him because it was literally worst-case scenario in regards to his three starts. Like, you throw him against the Philadelphia Phillies for his Major League debut. You then throw him in Atlanta against the Braves. And then you throw him in Tampa Bay against the Rays. So it's like, not even a bad team. I mean, who knows how he would have fared yeah, so maybe if you were to you know have him face like a below five hundred team, 
things would have gone a little differently, but yeah, things haven't gone great for Gavin Stone. Again, it's only been three starts. I guess if there is any sort of encouraging sign from today, Josh, it's like you mentioned, he didn't walk anyone, which was kind of his biggest issue in his first two outings, and he did, I think, have 15 swing and misses, which I know in his couple starts, like you said, he hasn't even racked up seven strikeouts in total, so he was getting a lot of swing and miss. It's just the Rays with their voodoo magic and the magic of Luke Rayleigh being an all-star this year, they were just raking on him, so Hopefully he goes back down, but like you said, Gavin Stone was expected to be the guy that would take that spot in the rotation, but Bobby Miller, I mean, we haven't talked about him since, you know, the last episode. What a debut. He goes into Atlanta. I think allows a run in the first inning, and I think we're texting going, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is the last thing we wanted to see, and then he pretty much shuts things down the rest of the way, goes five innings, strikes out five, allows only one run, had a cockiness on the mound that I absolutely loved. Stare down a couple of batters, and he'll be getting the ball tomorrow against the Nationals, and it seems like, again, assuming Gavin Stone goes down, they call it Michael Grove, Bobby Miller with, you know, Dustin May out for who knows how long, Bobby Miller could have some runway in this Dodgers rotation and could honestly be in the starting rotation the rest of the season if, you know, he pitches the way he did last week against the Braves. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely could. Uh, and uh, again, it's only been one start for him. And, and like you said, it's been three starts for Stone, and he hasn't faced uh, really any struggling teams. I know the Phillies are are uh, below 500, but that lineup that he faced in his debut was Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, Stott, Boehm. Like, come on. Um, but it's been the other two opportunities after that where, yeah, you're facing good lineups, but you're not getting it done. And, and yeah, for, for Bobby Miller, he he's only, you know, pitched one game um, for the Dodgers. But – there were some very encouraging signs in that, especially after the first inning um, going how it, how it did. Um, and then after that, just shutting the door against the Braves um, in a really, really impressive game um, for, for Miller. And, and he was, there's not a ton of um, uniqueness, I think, to his, his fastball. Um, he doesn't really have much movement on it. He just throws it really hard. So at some point you just have to continue locating well um, and, and and hope that things go in your favor because he doesn't have much touch to the fastball, at least not right now. And after that first inning, he threw a lot down the middle. Like things, you know, didn't look – I don't want to say things look bad, but, you know, after the first inning you thought, oh, man, he could get teed off on a little bit against this team. But, I mean, he just shut the door. Four hits five Ks um, only one earned. And it was in that first inning and five innings. He was terrific. And it was exactly what the Dodgers needed. Cause again, remember what we said on the podcast going into that series was when Bobby Miller makes his debut. Sure. You know what? Give up a few runs, you give up three runs. Phenomenal. I'll take it. Got to go five innings. Give us four or five innings. If I'm Dave Roberts, I'm saying give, give us four or five innings and, and, and give us time to, you know, let our bullpen get some rest. Cause remember this was coming right after that, uh, first of all, you have the long series against the Cardinals. And then it's also coming off that series against Twins where the Dodgers had just tons of bullpen action as well. So give them some innings. And not only did he give them innings, but he gave them a great outing too. So looking forward to seeing him in his next outing uh, coming up, what, next game. And uh, at that point, maybe we'll reevaluate a little bit more after seeing Miller's next performance. But after just one game, signs are – encouraging for him and not so encouraging for Gavin. So 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like the hype train might even be building even more because they are throwing him against the Nationals tomorrow. So, I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. It is baseball. Anything can happen. But if he goes out there against the Nationals and, you know, shuts them down... Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of uh, fun things to say about Bobby Miller just again because he looked the part, and the reason why the Dodgers turned to Gavin Stone over Bobby Miller was because I think Bobby Miller only had a handful of starts in OKC this year, wasn't really great at all, had like an ERA above five, but he came in and he made the Braves' offense look like one of the worst offenses in all of baseball. So really excited to see Bobby Miller. Uh, the Dodgers start in rotation; they they desperately need it, but. One uh, one thing I want to touch up on, Josh, before we take a quick break, and that's the fact that the streak is officially over. Trace Thompson's 0-for-39 streak officially came to an end today, and he did it in style. I mean, this guy had not recorded a hit in about a month and a half, and he comes out today, records three hits. I think he drew a walk, so he reached base four times, hits a home run, and... Unfortunately for him, he gets pinch hit for in the ninth inning, so he couldn't get another at bat. But this has been a guy where, had he not had the game he had today, this would have been a huge talking point on the show saying, I think the Dodgers need to DFA him. I think they need to look for other options. But with this performance today, we, you know, we've seen in his three home run game that when he's going, he could be a huge, huge asset in the lineup. And he was today almost, again, won the game for the Dodgers himself with his production. So... I guess with Trace Josh, he's he's uh, bought himself at least a couple more weeks uh, with this performance, just based on how everyone else was how everyone else was looking today. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about it because who who else is your next option? And obviously, the Dodgers have got a few guys back, but you know, when Michael Bush was up, Bush just didn't really get it done. He was pretty much just at that point, at best, a bench piece for the Dodgers. And right, that's what Trace Thompson needs to be. But I think that Trace is more reliable in the outfield. Then maybe Bush had been in the infield, depending on, you know, how exactly the Dodgers want to use those two guys. But at that point, like your next best option is Michael Bush as a bat in the lineup. And other than that, like there's not really anybody else who I think the Dodgers are ready to pull up right now. I mean, you mentioned it recently. Who's the next best option at this point? Maybe Johnny DeLuca, who, you know, last I saw, I've been doing pretty well um, after, um, Struggling a little bit in the minors. We're starting to get it going a little bit. But, I, I mean, that's just not an MLB caliber option at this point. So, a game like today is a little bit more encouraging for, for Trace Thompson. Because, again, like, what, his last multi-hit game had to have been the three-home run game, right? So, it's just – it was a tough stretch. Today was the game, I think, to break out of that slump. With everybody getting hits – 21 combined runs. Today was the day to break that streak. And you hope that, especially with your schedule going forward, you get the Nationals next. After that, you get the Yankees, which will be tough. But you get two series at home coming up after breaking out of the streak and, you know, maybe a little bit more favorable of a series at home against the Nationals than this long road trip. But something had to give for Trace Thompson at some point, and finally it did. Yeah, so he breaks out his you know first multi-hit game since his first game of the season when he hit three home runs. So hopefully you know it gets him it gets him going because Josh, when we come back from the break, Trace Thompson's streak is officially over. But there's actually another Dodger that quietly has been building his own streak that might be approaching Trace Thompson territory before we know it. So we'll get to who that is after this quick break. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Josh, I kind of teased it right there about how Trace Thompson is over 39 stretch comes to an end. I kind of really feel bad for him because him going over 39 officially set like the Dodgers position player record, at least going back to like the early, early 1900s. I think it's like the longest streak in 115 years. So now anytime there's a Dodger player that has an insane, you know, streak, Trace Thompson is now officially going to be the guy that always gets brought up by having the record just because he got it by one at bat. So that does suck for him. But Josh, quietly while everyone's been just paying attention to this Trace Thompson streak, uh, our guy James Outman, he's in a streak of his own. He is now 0 for 20, 0 for his last 20, has 12 strikeouts during that time, and since May 5th is hitting 143 with 28 strikeouts. So after winning Rookie of the Month for the month of April, I guess pitchers have kind of figured him out. And James Outman at this point, he's nearly an automatic out, and his at-bats are looking horrendous. I mean, he's going up there, and it seems like he's swinging and missing at every pitch. It doesn't seem like he's fouling anything off, and he looks like some fan they brought in from the top deck that just won, you know, one of those fan appreciation day giveaways where you get to take, you know, at-bats during a real game. So uh, hopefully James Albert can kind of figure this out because kind of with Trace Thompson, Josh, this is what we talked about. You can't really DFA him because you don't have any options, you know, in the minors. You can't really send James Outman down because... Again, do you want to take a shot on Johnny DeLuca, who has, I don't know, 10 games at AAA under his belt? So it seems like now, instead of with Trace Thompson, the Dodgers kind of just got to wait it out with James Outman and hope that he can kind of steer the ship uh, earlier than later uh, after a bad three-week stretch. That was pretty harsh, Blake. I know what you're doing here. You're trying to, you're trying to you know, break up the juju here because that's kind of been the Man. trend for this season on this show. But... You're right. I mean, he, he hasn't been good. He's over for his last 20, 10 strikeouts in five games. Um, not good. The problem for me over the course of the last few games is, one, he's come up in a couple of big-time situations where the Dodgers really could have used a hit. He came up, you know, today in a situation where if there's a hit, the Dodgers are likely right back. I mean, they only lost by one, but they're right back in the game. Um, and then, I mean, it, you really you really you go back to – if you pull up his game log, I mean, you go back to – that um that twin series um where sure he gets you know a couple of hits on that last uh in that last game against the twins in fact finishes the game what two for four um couple of rbi or one rbi i mean he, he four rbis that was kind of for me it was like all right he's getting back on track because the few games before that he was struggling as well that game kick-started a three-game hit streak with a couple of rbis a couple of runs scored right but still striking out a lot in the month of May um, coming up in big situations and just not even having good at bats. And that's been the big thing for me is it's not just, he's not getting on base. He's not getting hits. He's not hitting any home runs. He's not bringing in runs. The at bats have been bad. I mean, the fact that he came up against the twins um, in that 13 or that 12 inning game with a chance to, to do something and struck out. Um, a chance to really, I, I want to say it was the ninth inning, could have won the game, or the 10th inning, could have won the game. And then 
you know, you go back to that series uh, on the road against what uh, in the, in, was it the Padres series? I think it was the Padres series where they're on the road and he came up in that eighth inning with a chance to really break it open for the Dodgers and went down real easily. And, and it's just some of the, uh, the, the at bats as of late have stood out to me of being not even competitive. Um, so that's the thing for me. And I was thinking about this today, watching the game, watching him strike out in the, in, in the seventh or eighth inning or whatever it was thinking, look, but this is a guy that is going to be streaky this season. He just is. He was so good last year. He was so good to start the season and we know what he can do. It's just right now, clearly he's, he's behind on pitches. He's just not barreling up the ball. He's not making good contact. He's just not working good at bats. But the more at-bats this guy gets, I think he's going to be okay. Um, and, and, of course, he's proven to be a pretty big asset to the team other than just with his bat because he's playing good defense. Um, when he's on base, he's a fun base runner to watch. Um, he just needs to have better at-bats. And right now, maybe you turn the page once June starts, but the month of May has, has not been kind to, to James Alvin, that's for sure. Yeah, so – you know, it, it's still early in his career. Obviously, we saw what he's capable of doing in April. May has been very, very, very unkind. But hopefully, yeah, he can kind of figure things out because with Trace having this stretch, Outman has been pretty awful for the entire month. Obviously, Jason Hayward and David Peralta, they'll kind of give you an occasional moment every now and then, but they haven't necessarily been lighting things up. And even Mookie, Mookie's kind of, although he's been hitting a lot of homers, Mookie's kind of been, you know, struggling as well. He's hitting, I think, 240. His OPS is down to like 830 or something like that. So the Dodgers' outfield production has been pretty minimal, you know, over the last couple of weeks and especially the month of May. So hopefully someone, they can kind of step up, they can kind of turn things around. But Josh, one name that I did want to bring up, enough of, you know, negativity, which actually, speaking of which, going back to my whole reverse jinx thing, I literally was starting a Trace Thompson article yesterday that I was going to finish today because I didn't think he'd be in the lineup today about how the Dodgers need to either DFA him or figure it out because of this stretch. So I didn't officially post anything. He turned it around. The other day though on Twitter, I did tweet about how Max Muncy was like two for his last 27 with runners in scoring position and how awful he's been recently. And then I think he uh, yesterday hit a home run, had a double with a runner in scoring position. Today he hit a home run. Now, technically, I will say... I'm not fully saying I reverse jinxed him because I said it's with runners in scoring position. These homers that he hit were solo homers, so that doesn't count. Like, I don't look bad there because no one was on base. So I will say that. But yeah, the reverse jinxes, again, I'm, I'm getting replies from people saying, we you need to say it, something man. about this guy. Yeah. We just got to wear I got a buddy at the office who does the same thing to me. He's like, hey, man, this player's struggling. I, I need a podcast. I'm like, all right, I'll see what we can do. But I, at this point, look, all-star break comes around. We got to post a video of like, oh, said this on May 10th, next game, just fixing the jinx. We got we got to do it. Yeah, I literally got a message yesterday from someone saying, Blake, like we need a thing about Trace Thompson. I replied saying something along the lines of, I don't even think my magical powers can work on Trace Thompson. It's that bad. Well, clearly... Something uh, something can definitely happen. But Josh, a player that has just been, I think, fantastic for the Dodgers, outside of Freddie Freeman, has been their best hitter this season. And it feels like he is just going very, very, very under the radar. And that is J.D. Martinez, where we, we haven't talked about him a whole lot this year because he did miss about three or four weeks with an injury. And then obviously we haven't done a show in the past week or so. So 
this is a guy I, I did an article on him the other day. I'm going to read some of his stats in a bit just to show how good he's been. But another homer today, I think it was another multi-hit game, has like an 11 or 12 game hitting streak. And all of a sudden, I mean, for a Dodgers lineup that has, has, has had as many ups and downs as they've had, having J.D. Martinez right there in the middle, uh, I think has been so undervalued by Dodger fans everywhere because he's just been so good. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel like, I don't know. Every time he does something, my girlfriend always is like, why are you saying this? Every time he like hits a home run, has an insane hit, I always go, J.D. Martinez? Like with the question mark as if I'm shocked. But, I mean, he's he's been, like I said, their second best hitter so far this year. Yeah, 10 bombs, 33 RBIs. He's hitting 276, and he's got an OPS at 901. Like hitting right in the middle of the order has just been perfect for him this season, especially when when other guys around him get hot he's been that much more important. And that's when you start to see the RBIs. Cause if you look at earlier in the season, some of the guys around him weren't hitting very well. Obviously there was, you know, a few games and Will Smith wasn't in the lineup. So that's a guy who hits right in front of JD Martinez, not in the lineup. When Max Muncy was not hitting the ball early on very well, that's a guy that's right around that same part of the lineup that there's a guy that's not on base for JD Martinez or, or vice versa. Um, and now that you've got guys around him that are starting to hit the ball a little bit better, um, and you've got JD. We said this going into the season. Like JD Martinez is just a consistent hitter. And what it was last year, or the year before that, he led the league in in doubles. Um, and, and he just hits the ball to the gaps and parks it on second base. And all right, cool, bring me in. Things like that. Like you get a runner on first base, he shoots one into the gap. Like that should be a run. I mean, that's kind of just how it's been for JD Martinez this season. He's been super consistent. Um, you know, the deal that they brought him in on was, you know, pretty friendly. We were both cautiously optimistic when they brought him in. Um, and we thought, you know, JD Martinez, like maybe you think the guy's washed, but like he's had some good years while still flying under the radar. When he went to Boston, it was a big deal. It was a really, really big deal. Um, and then his time in Boston, I think he kind of continued to just fly under the radar because the team wasn't very good at all. I mean, the year that he went to Boston, remember, um, that was the year that the Yankees also made some big moves. So it was kind of like, all right, is Boston going to be able to keep up with the Yankees? And then one year, you know, the, the Red Sox were really good and then vice versa. And then after that, just the team has not been very good at all when he was there. And he kind of flew under the radar for how consistent he was. I'm not saying he was remarkable. I'm not saying he was, you know, an MVP caliber player by any means, but he was a consistently reliable player with the Red Sox. So even at the age of 35, you know, he's a few years removed from being, you know, a Dodger killer with the D-backs. And he comes over to L.A. and he's just been, again, a consistently solid bat in the heart of the order for the Dodgers. Um, and, yeah, maybe he's not that – I think maybe you look nationally um, and his national recognition. Maybe he is a pretty decent name on the Dodgers. But the fact that this is his first year in the team and – He's and the Dodgers still have guys in the lineup like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncie. He might be a fifth or sixth name on that list that you think of when you think of the Dodgers, at least locally within the fan base. But he's just continued to be a consistent bat for the Dodgers. And he's been one of their most important players this season. Yeah. I mean, ever since he 
got activated from the injured list. I think he had like a back injury. I mean, his numbers have been pretty much incredible. And yeah, like you said, Josh, even the last couple of years, it feels like JD's kind of flown under the, under the radar. And that's something we talked about numerous times where, yeah, he wasn't hitting 330 and hitting 40 homers like he used to. But even last year, I think he like near the league lead in doubles. His WRC plus was still like 120. Like he was still a really productive hitter. And then while he comes over here and like I said, behind Freddie Freeman, he's been probably their second best hitter. But Josh, again, some of these things I wrote down, I do want to share with you and share with the audience because taking a a deeper dive into his numbers just to actually show how good he's been. Because yeah, you can read his numbers. I think you said he's like 10 homers, 30 RBI, something like that, OPS of 900. So clearly those numbers are good, but just how good of a hitter has he been? Uh, this was as of the other day, so his numbers actually might be slightly better than they were when I wrote this article two days ago. So just every time he hits the ball, Josh, he's averaging 93.3 miles per hour off the bat. In his age 35 season, it's officially the hardest of his career. So J.D. Martinez is hitting the ball harder than he ever has in his 13, 14-year career, whatever it is. His uh, expected weights above average is 96th percentile. And for those that might not know exactly what that means, expected weighted on base average, it takes your exit velocity, your launch angle, how you bat balls, all that kind of stuff. So it's a really advanced number, but he's 96 percentile. And among 256 qualified hitter, John, uh, that's a tongue twister. Among 256 qualified hitters, J.D. Martinez ranks 10th behind guys like Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna, Jordan Alvarez, Paul Goldschmidt, and Freddie Freeman, all guys that are going to be MVP candidates, you know, so far this year. And even if you go beyond some other numbers, his expected batting average is 308, which is top 10 in all of baseball. He's currently hitting, again, I think 270, so it just goes to show he's been extremely unlucky a lot of the way. So J.D. Martinez, again, his numbers as a whole, you look look on StatCast or whatever and see what his numbers look like, they're really good. But when you look into those advanced numbers that a lot of people like to take a look at, he's been a top 10 to 15 overall hitter through the first two months of the season, which, Josh, if I would have told you, you know, back in February when they signed him, or I think it was December when they signed him, that after two months, J.D. Martinez would be a top 15 hitter in all of baseball, I think you would have easily taken that and uh, not even questioned it, my guess would be. Yeah, I mean, look at the look at the month that he's having, too. After today, he's got a 12-game hit streak, 18 hits in those 12 games, five home runs. Uh, I missed two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 RBIs in that stretch. Um, and in the month as a whole, he's hitting 313 with an OPS at 984. And that's just this month. Um, he's, he's the hottest hitter on the team right now. Um, and again, like he, he's been a top 15 hitter in baseball and he's been maybe a top five player this month. Um, and maybe even in the national league, he might be the, the player of the month for May. And I think that that's something that we haven't even talked about once. I haven't even seen him thrown out there for having an incredible month. Looking at these yeah. stats right now, I mean, 313 and an, and an OPS at 984 just this month with that sample size. Um, he should be considered for the player of the month. Yeah, he, he definitely shouldn't. One final thing on J.D. Martinez I want to throw out there. This is what I had in my article as well. His expected slugging percentage, 
Uh, Josh, the league average expected slugging percentage is 414. Would you like to take a guess as to what J.D. Martinez is in 2023 so far? His The slugging percentage is 414 on average? So the... So expected slugging. So pretty much takes like all the outcomes and like the expected numbers. Gotcha. The average is 414. Would you like to take a guess okay. as to what JD's is? His expected slugging? Six something. I'll go. Is that too high? Six, 622. His expected Good slugging Lord. percentage is 622. That is the fourth his, best in baseball. Because his season slugging is 586. So yeah. I was thinking it's got to be higher than that, but not like drastically higher, right? Would you but like is, to? Uh, I'd take say that's a, guess. a pretty significant increase. Would you like to take a guess as to which three players? So he's fourth, fourth best in baseball. Do you want to take a guess as which three players have a higher expected slugging than JD Martinez? And I'll give you a hint: all three are MVP candidates that'll probably finish like top five in voting. Okay. National League and American League. What do we? Who are the three players we're looking at here? I'll give you a hint. One's American League, two are National League. One American League, two National League. Um, one American League, two National League. I want to say, well, slugging wise, I'd say Judge is up there. So Judge, Judge, judge is up is there. The, He's number one. Okay, so Judge is the AL, and then two yeah, in the yeah. National League. Well, I honestly, I guess no. Yanni Diaz wouldn't be up there. That's who I would have. I would have guessed him if not for Judge. Um, expected slugging. There's no way. Let's go, Jorge Soler. Is he up there? It's not Soler. He's close, but he's not there. I'll give you a hint, though. One of the two guys, the Dodgers just saw him in a series. Just saw him in a series. Okay, just saw him in a series. Um, it's not. Oh, is it Acuna? Acuna, he's one. Acuna, and then is one of them Freddie? No, one of them's not Freddie. He is close though, but not for this. I'll give you your my the final hint. He is a home run hitter that likes to hit a lot of homers and may may or may not have won a home run derby or two over the last couple of years. Oh, Alonzo. Pete Alonzo. There you go. There you go. So, so, so number one would be Judge, and is it Judge Alonzo Acuna, and then JD Martinez? Last I looked, it was Judge Acuna Alonzo JD. But again, this was I think on Friday when I wrote this article, so things might have changed a little. But that that just goes to show, Josh, that again, out of all the sluggers, out of all the power hitters, out of all the great hitters in baseball, that's how close JD Martinez is. I mean, the fact that he's even being mentioned with. Judge and Acuna and Pete Alonso and some of the guys I mentioned earlier. It's, it's insane as to how good of a season he's having. Now, granted, he doesn't provide you anything in the field. It's just all at the plate. But uh, I don't think J.D. Martinez, I don't think you could have gotten anything more than you were expecting out of the first two months for his one year. I think $10 million, I want to say. Bargain of a contract, yeah. I think you said, a while back. So it, it's been insane. And I just wanted to show J.D. Martinez some love because it feels like he's being undervalued just a little. So... Yeah, there you go. He's been ter- he's been the Dodgers. Uh, he's been you know at the heart of the order for the Dodgers. He's been their most consistent player um, or most consistent bat this season. And, and again, one year for for ten million. Um, we said this early on without seeing him take a single swing yet. We thought that that was going to be a pretty good deal. And so far, I think it's been fantastic. 
Exactly. So shout out to JD Martinez. We're going to take one final break. When we come back, we're just going to wrap up the show with our overall grades on the Dodgers as they're now officially one third of the way through the season. All right, Josh, we are back, and like I said, the Dodgers are officially one-third of the way through the season, so we're going to give a couple of quick grades just on how the team has overall looked through this first third. Overall, they're 32-22, and 22, so using my Arizona State education, I times that by three, which has the Dodgers on pace for 96 wins, 96 wins, which considering that this was a pretty bad road trip, I think the Dodgers finished four and six. Obviously, they kind of struggled, you know, against the Twins before they came out on this road trip. The fact that they're still on pace for 96 wins, I think is pretty incredible. They are in first place by two games, but that's just because the D-backs aren't going away. But Josh, prior to the season beginning, if we would have been told that through one third of the season, Dodgers would have 32 wins, the most wins in the National League. They'd be on pace for 96. I think we'd be pretty okay with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's kind of where we both predicted them at the start of the season. Um, and obviously the, the team has had its ups and downs. But for the most part, I mean, you think back to the beginning of the season when they just weren't scoring any runs and, and they weren't scoring consistently. I think that's changed. I mean, you look at today's game, they lose 11 to 10. The, the, the bats weren't the problem, and they haven't really been the problem for a little while. So, you know, the team um, overall in more than one category, let's just say offensively, they're a top five, pretty much a top three offensive team in baseball at this point. Um, they're a tough team to beat. They've proven that. Um, the pitching has been where the most question marks are, um, where the most uh, the, the, the highest and, and – lowest parts of the season I think have been for the Dodgers is with pitching. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, through a third of the season, I think we're, they're right about where we would have hoped they would be. Um, second best record in the national league, first place in the national league West. Um, and, and so far um, I think the team has, has performed pretty well, but obviously they're performing well, despite lots of adversity so far. So if the team were a little bit healthier, um, if the team got a little bit more consistent, you know, pitching, then who knows how high they could go. I mean, that's that's the craziest part is the fact that after one-third of the season, essentially the entire starting rotation has been hurt with the exception of Clayton Kershaw, who has kind of struggled the last couple of starts. Their bullpen has been one of the worst in all of baseball, but yet, again, they have the most wins in the National League, first place in the NL West. I think overall they're like the fourth best record in all of baseball, and it's just only a couple of games behind some of these other teams. So for the most part, that is something that you will take 10 out of 10 times. It doesn't feel that way. I think uh, if you just go on Twitter and see how these games go and see the reaction from people, you wouldn't think that the Dodgers would have the best record in the National League at this point. But they've been they've been surprising to me. You know, they were 500 through the first 26 games, and we were kind of thinking maybe they're going to be an 85 to 90 win team. But they're going to be in the hunt. They're going to be in the hunt for the best record in the National League all season. Josh, uh, my final thing from you, and I'll give mine too, Give me one thing after the first 54 games that I guess has encouraged you the most, like your biggest positive takeaway, and then I guess the thing that has discouraged you the most, uh, your biggest negative takeaway through the first uh, one-third of the season. Um, negative takeaway for me on a broad, you know, a broad, you know, playing field here, I would say is the inconsistent pitching because it has been 
a long time, you know, this season. I think this is a, a big enough sample size to think the Dodgers need to do something at the deadline when it comes to pitching. And I know that we've got a ton of games, a ton of innings to see between now and then. But right now, the pitching has not been good enough. And I, I know that guys have been injured, especially with the starting rotation. But the bullpen has not been good. Look, you've got some guys that have really just handled themselves well, that have continued to be um, reliable for the Dodgers. You know, Evan Phillips has been lights out. Caleb Ferguson has been really good. Bruce Dar Gratterall is somebody that I feel like we keep looking at. Like when he comes into a game late, you're like, oh boy, but he's been good. His numbers are pretty good. Like he's been somebody that for the most part has been reliable for the Dodgers. Um, but players like Alex Vesia and, and, and um, Yancy Almonte, especially Almonte, like guys that the Dodgers relied on in past seasons. Almonte was unreal last year. And some of these guys have not just struggled. They've been bad. Um, and I think that that has been very um, tough to watch for the Dodgers because sometimes you just put these guys in and you just never know what you're going to get. And we haven't really felt that way watching, you know, Dodgers relief pitchers um, in, in quite some time. And that's just how it's been this year because you just never know what you're going to get with the bullpen at this point. So for me, that's been um, the the most discouraging thing. The biggest negative for me this season has been the consistency in the pitching and more importantly, the inconsistency in the bullpen. The most reassuring thing I think this season has been the way that the Dodgers have responded to the adversity. Two guys um, being injured and missing time in the rotation. Like, first of all, like, when, when the Dodgers were without players like, like Tony Gonsolin, um, you know, Dustin May, Clayton Kershaw, Julio for the most part, he's given up a lot of home runs this year, but Julio, like, they carried that weight, you know. Um, then you get more of, and more of these guys out, and Tony Gonsolin comes back in. And since he's come back, has probably been the, the, the Dodgers' most reliable starting pitcher. Um, and then you look at the offense and the way that the team was playing early in the season after dropping all those games to the Diamondbacks in the first two weeks and then struggling a little bit more after that and not hitting the baseball. Suddenly, suddenly they just go on this long winning streak where they're just scoring all these runs. And now, even in the games that they've lost, they've been high scoring games, especially as of late. You look no further than 8.30 a.m. this morning when the Dodgers lose 11 to 10. But again, that was the type of game when the Dodgers fall behind by a run in the eighth inning or the seventh inning, whatever it was. And you think it's not going to be enough for the race. Like, even though it was like, that's been encouraging moving forward this season so far is the way that the Dodgers have responded to losing guys in the lineup and not having consistent hitting and, you know, losing pitching has been the way that they've responded to that and built on it and tried to run with it. And like I said, a few minutes ago, who knows where the Dodgers would be if they had, you know, one fewer injury to the rotation, you know, one bullpen piece who's been more consistent because right now, like you said, top five team in baseball, number two team in the national league by a game or half a game um, was the top team in the national league for, you know, a week or so. Like they could be even better than they already are. But at this point, like we've said this before too, kind of just stay afloat and see what you get once the summer months really start to roll around. Cause you're going to get guys back in the lineup. The team's obviously going to make some moves and, 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 and right now, if their heads are above water and it seems like they're just kind of struggling a little bit and they're just barely keeping their head above water. But in the grand scheme of things, the Dodgers have been a really good team. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy kind of going off what you said there about how they've dealt with 
injuries. They've dealt with a bunch of roster shuffling. And I guess, yeah, my, my like biggest, I guess, encouraging takeaway is the fact that the offense has been like one of the best offenses in all of baseball. I think they're first in the National League in home runs. I think they're first like in runs scored. They're first in like WRC plus. They're they're first in a lot of categories, which big picture kind of doesn't make really that much sense because outside of JD Martinez and Freddie Freeman, everyone else kind of just been streaky and struggling like Muncie he had that stretch where he was fantastic but for the most part he's been bad for 75% of the season James Zalman has been horrible this month obviously guys like Chris Taylor David Peralta Jason Hayward Miguel Rojas they've been underwhelming so far this season Austin Barnes I think is still hitting like below 100 he's been awful and somehow some way the Dodgers just continue to win games by scoring all these runs so you would think that things are going to improve for a lot of these guys they're going to be getting better which means the offense is going to get even better somehow so that's my biggest encouragement is the fact that the offense has been as good as they've they have been with again a lot of guys essentially outside of two being kind of bad this year and my biggest disappointment i think the exact same as yours is the fact that the bullpen has just been bad I think they're bottom 10 in almost every stat when it comes to uh, reliever numbers in all of baseball. And that's been the Dodgers' biggest strength these last couple of years when they've been so dominant. They've had one of the best, if not the best, bullpen in all of baseball. So hopefully with guys coming back, things are going to turn themselves around. Uh, one final stat I had, Josh, that kind of just goes to show how bad the Dodgers, I guess pitching staff as a whole has been. Uh, especially this entire month, but kind of more so the entire season. Over their last 13 games... The Dodgers, the Dodgers pitching staff has allowed 84 runs. That is their worst 13-game stretch since 2007. And even during that 13-game stretch, I think I want to say that they are either one game above 500 or one game below 500. So although their their pitching staff is averaging six and a half runs per game allowed, the Dodgers are still in every game. They're still you know closing things out. And like you said, they're just somehow fighting adversity. And regardless of the situation. They're able to come through and deliver. So overall, uh, very satisfied with the Dodgers' first 54 games. You know what they say, Josh? I don't know who said it. I don't know who, but they say it. You're going to win 54 games. You're going to lose 54 games. But what you do in those middle 54 games, that is what either makes or breaks your season. So whatever the Dodgers do in these next 54 games, uh, pay attention to because that could make or break the Dodgers' season. But Josh... Before we wrap things up, any uh, final thoughts, takeaways from the Dodgers' recent recent you know road trip or uh, first one third of the season as a whole? Well, thank goodness they're coming home for for a couple of series yeah. here before they go back on the road for about a week, and then they're back home for more after that. I, I, the month of June should be fun. Um, obviously, you end May with uh, a team like the Nationals, who you'd think the Dodgers should should secure a series win against. It's at home, you know, after a long road trip, the Nats have been struggling a little bit, so. Bring bring the team home for, for a couple of series, and then you get the Yankees on a weekend series. You get the Giants at home on a weekend series. You get the Astros at home for a weekend series. Um, I will be out of town for two of those three. Uh, so out for the <laughs> Yankees and the Astros, unfortunately. But, um, look, I, big series at home. You know those Yankees, Astros series, um, and the Giants, obviously – they're going to be sold out three straight games. So it's just good. The team is going to be coming back home um, for a lot of games um, in, in June, I think based off of just looking at the calendar, I'd say it's about 50, 50 in the games at home and on the road, but some big series and some big games at home. And uh, then I'm looking forward to watching. 
Yeah, like you mentioned, I'm looking at the schedule too. The Yankees, Phillies, Giants, Astros, some tough opponents, but an overall much easier schedule. They play the Reds, you know, they play the White Sox, they play the Rockies, they play the Royals. So hopefully the Dodgers can rack up some wins, continue to build off this momentum. But that does wrap it up for this week's edition of Inside the Ravine. Again, make sure you guys find us on social media, whatever app you guys use, we're there. If there's other apps out there, we'll, we'll get our way on there at some point. But Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Inside the Ravine. You guys can listen and watch the full episodes over on YouTube if you're into that sort of thing. Just search Inside the Ravine. And make sure to listen wherever you guys get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, the Odyssey app, or everywhere. But for Josh Schaefer, this has been Blake Harris. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day wherever you may be.